Well, church, welcome again to Encounter, where you matter to us, you matter to God. Uh, We have the privilege as a community this morning of celebrating uh, two baptisms. And every time we do that, every time we gather around this table, and every time we gather as a community, we really want to remind ourselves and hear from God what this act is all about. So every time we baptize, we, we ask a couple of questions. The first one is, when we baptize, why do we use water? And the answer to that one is simple. It's a perfect image. Just as water washes away dirt from the body, so too does the blood of Christ wash away all my soul's impurities. In other words, all my sins. As we gather around, we ask, um, when we baptize, why, why infants? Why babies? Um, we're a church that comes from a huge variety of church backgrounds and no church background. And, and why is it then that we baptize babies? And the answer, again, is simple. It's because we're going to see in these children, we're going to see in these babies, all of us, that standing before the throne of God, we have just as much to offer them um, we have just as much to offer God as they do. That, that our spiritual heart rates are zero until the Holy Spirit of God breathes life inside of us and brings us to this place of belief. And as we do, as we baptize, this is a reminder to consider your own baptism. It's a reminder as an invitation as well for you to consider baptism in the first place by going to encounterchurch.org slash baptism. We would love to hear your story and celebrate with you. At this time, I want to invite the McVitie family forward, along with the Sicta family. Um, we're, uh, we're doing these two baptisms this morning because these adorable children are actually cousins as well. So it's just fitting and having a saying that we do life together to experience baptism then together as well. Ryan and Shelby and Mal and Seth, I have a few questions. Um, to ask you, uh, do you believe that Finley and Marielle uh, are in need of the grace? Well, good morning and welcome one more time, everybody. My name is Dirk, preaching pastor here at Encounter Church. And just a heads up, we do this at 1015 as well. That was a joke because there's like, it's so crowded. There's like two seats available in this whole place. So there's like 20 seats at 915. So if you'd like, you can move over on that side. It might be a little bit easier for a little while, I guess. But welcome one more time to Encounter. We're in a series right now called Overcome. We're watching as God overcomes all these obstacles to faith in our lives. Uh, last week, we saw how God overcame apathy and brought us to this place of resolution. Remember that one line takeaway from last week was, you're right, you can't do everything, but you can do one thing. And so the encouragement was to find that one thing, find that one place in this world where your heart just breaks, or that one person in this world to whom your heart just breaks for. Find your one thing. And and I said this as a way of like, it could be anything in the whole world. But one of the awesome, just monumentally encouraging things around here was that last weekend, we had more people register for a serving team here at Encounter than we've ever had before. Can we just praise God for that awesome thing? And that's such a huge encouragement, not just, uh, not just because it's like, awesome, you're finding your place, you're finding your people, you're finding your calling and passion right here at church, but it's also a big encouragement because the vast majority of our serving teams are led by volunteers. And so when they see like, you register and you show up, it's just like, that's just the kind of thing that knocks their socks off. Okay, uh, that was apathy to resolution. We saw God move last week. Today, uh, today we're seeing God move from fear 
to faith. And uh, it's a kind of a working title that I was with uh, earlier this week and, and, and playing with this title name, uh, Why Does Faith Fail Us? Or maybe better yet, when, when specifically is it, are those times when faith gives way to fear? And I think the answer to that one is when the storms of life hit. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to see this morning a story of a storm. Before we do, I, I want to acknowledge and I want to offer prayers up too for the people of North Carolina. You guys know that there's this hurricane moving through that area. It's been downgraded, but it's like, I read it was moving at like six miles an hour, which means it just is like plucked right over a certain patch and it's just pouring down rain and flooding the area. So even though the wind isn't as much, just so much water is building up over there. Hurricane Florence, Hurricane Flo, they called it. And that name, right, kind of hit me because I thought, well, if you're going to name a hurricane, Flo is probably not a bad name for a hurricane. That makes sense. Um, but I was kind of thinking beyond that, I wonder how they come up with the names of the hurricanes, because I think it might be helpful in the, in the naming of some of our storms as well. So what I discovered earlier this week is that the naming of hurricane took place in the early 1950s when the meteorologists mostly men, almost exclusively men, would, uh, would, would get some of the storms mixed up. They kind of get confused, as men are prone to do, uh, of wh which hurricane is which. Uh, and it, it was hard to talk about where one ended and the other one began and the trajectory and the tolls that they would take, the costs that they would inflict. So, so these guys, in 1953 is the first time, they started naming the hurricanes, true story, after their wives or girlfriends. And I'm not like a relationship expert, but word to the wise, just don't. Like, not a good idea. Um, after some relationships probably ended, in 1978, I believe it was, they started Equal Rights for Storms. They named them after men and women. But my takeaway out of that was that, you know, if it was helpful for them to name the storms, you know, I just wonder if it might be helpful for us to name the storms that we're in too. At least to simply know when one ended and the next one began. Uh, somebody told me one time this very encouraging statement. Dirk, here's, a, here's what I know about storms. You're either just coming out of one, you're just going into one, or you're in one right now. And I'm like, that is super encouraging. Thank you. Zero amens for that one, I promise you. Um, but it's true. And so whether you're in one right now, you're just coming out of one right now, or you're just heading into one right now, I, I think that it would be helpful to be on the lookout for what that storm might be, and maybe even to give it a name. Because you give it a name, you can track it, and you can, and you can talk about it, and you can pray about it, and you can even calculate the toll or the trajectory that it might have. So I think I'm guessing that some of you have experienced have experienced a, a storm in your life. Maybe, maybe you called it something, something like Hangover Harry, and it was a Category 3 at first, but then after maybe a few of those, it starts to get upgraded, and you can start to track Hangover Harry's trajectory, and you start to see how it sort of morphs into and, and gets upgraded to Addiction Alex. I think it might be helpful for us to name some of those storms and to call them for what they are because it might be helpful to look back behind us and to see the, this, this wake of broken relationships and, and to be able to pinpoint the origin of it all 
and to say, I remember the storm that was betrayal Betsy. I remember because it's like my heart closed and I was no longer able to trust anybody anymore from that point on. And ever since then, I just broken relationship after broken relationship. And I know how it started and I know where it's going. Name it. I think it's helpful to hear about tropical depression Danny that moves in. And like you thought that the depression would move in and then move out like some in the past, but this one stalls out and this one just waits. And it just pours down unspeakable grief, crippleizing even. And you're waiting as, as weeks turn into months and months turn into years and you're going, is this the new normal? And when the storms like that hit, fear, I think, is normal and starts to set in. And, and so you start to wonder, is now the time that my faith is going to give way to fear? Is it this storm that you're in? If so, have I got a story for you? <laughs> We're going to find it in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, Matthew, sorry, Matthew 14, and pick it up in verse 22. And this is, uh, there's a lot a lot in this story. So is it cool if we do like, this is throwback Bible study time, pointing some things out. Is that cool with everybody? Both of you, one of you? No, okay, cool, all right. Um, Matthew 14, 22, words are gonna be on the screen behind me. You can follow along. If you're the note-taking kind of person, I think there's gonna be a few things in here. Um, like the first word, starting out in verse 22, it says immediately. There's gonna be three immediately's. All of them have to do with the action of Jesus. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, it's not just a small crowd. It's a massive, massive crowd because the, the immediately that this story is, is building on is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So you know there's at least 5,000 people. They only counted men. It's okay, but sometimes storms don't get men's names, so it all kind of evens out. Um, there's maybe 10,000. There's maybe 12,000 counting women and children in that crowd and that Jesus is dismissing. The story is not only that Jesus fed them. Of course, he fed them miraculously. He, he calls for anybody who's got some food. There's a little boy with a kid's Lunchable that Jesus multiplies and multiplies and multiplies until everybody, the thousands of them, not only ate something, but they ate until they were full. And then my favorite part of the story is that Jesus sends his disciples around afterwards to collect the crumbs and put it in baskets and then count the baskets. There were 12 left over after everybody ate from this kid's lunch. And I just want to point that part of the story out because after God has given you your one thing, and so many of you he has, you have been pouring in and you have been investing and you have been giving your life to a particular cause and you wonder how much you have to pour out, how much more you have to give. And you need to be reminded, church, that it's not a measure of how much is given out, but how much you pour in. 
We're not measuring how much you fill up. God does that work. We're measuring your job is to pour out and continually pour out. And then by God's miraculous grace, after you pour in and after you invest so much of your life, you look at your own cup and it's God's job. He filled that right up and there's more left over after the pouring out than what went in in the first place. And I just thought somebody needed to hear that this morning. Because your one thing is a big thing. And there's encouragement for you. God's got you. But in this story, he's coming off from the feeding of the 5,000. It's relevant for another reason. Because the crowd was so enamored with what they just saw that they started some rumblings. They started some chatter. And the, the rumblings turned into chatter, turned into, I don't know, maybe chanting. As the people started getting excited about what they just saw, about the miracle that they were just a part of. And so, and so they start chanting this thing to get Jesus to be their king, to get Jesus to sit on their throne, which is cool. He is a king. He will sit on a throne. He does sit on a throne, but not this way. He did come to lead a rebellion, to lead a revolution. But the rebellion is not against Rome. The rebellion is against sin and death. The revolution would not be done with a mob mentality of force makes right. No, no, no. That's not how this thing is going to go. He's going to lead by grace. He's going to lead by love. And so he doesn't want his disciples to get, to get infected, to get spoiled with that kind of mentality. So he takes the disciples and he sends them away in a boat where they're all by themselves on the water somewhere because he wants to protect them against worldly success, I think. And I just thought that was so interesting you know, for a couple of reasons, I just thought that was so interesting that Jesus would knowingly send them into a storm on a boat, put their lives in physical danger before he risks their spiritual lives by being corrupted with this first kind of sense of really massive respect and success. So we learn a couple of things all, all the way here in the, in the first line of this story. The first thing that we learn is that people back then have, and today still will always turn out for free food. We learned that last week here at Encounter Church. And mark your calendar, uh, tailgate party continues next year. Um, it's just gonna keep happening. But the second thing that we learn here is that Jesus, God really, God would rather send you into physical harm to protect your spiritual life which may not sound like the God you'd love to believe in or the God that maybe you were taught in the past. Let's keep on reading the story. In verse 23, we see that after Jesus had dismissed the crowd, all 5,000 of them or more, just himself, he went up on a mountainside himself, by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves. Here's the storm. Because the wind was against it, these guys are rowing in their boat. 
They're pushing this thing as much as they can to, to get it towards the shore. It wasn't a big lake, but it was big enough for the winds to come in and to keep blowing them towards the center all the time. And they're trying to make it back to safety and they're just not able to make it back to safety. And, and as the wind howls louder and the waves beat heavier, suddenly maybe it, it, it hits them. That, that didn't, didn't Jesus just to tell us to get into the boat? And I don't know about you guys, I would love to believe that if I heard the literal, audible voice of God in Jesus Christ, who had just multiplied a Lunchable times a 5,000 and fed everybody with it, and then turns and says, Dirk, get into the boat. I'm getting into the boat. Are you getting into the boat, church? Yeah, we're getting into the boat. And then we get into the boat, and we head on into the middle of the lake, and then a storm hit, and then the waves hit. And we think, Jesus, Jesus, you must have made some kind of a mistake because you told me to get into the boat and sent me into harm's way. And I don't think he made a mistake. Like, I think he sent us into the storm on purpose. Like church, we ask that question on the outset. Why is it that our faith sometimes gives way to fear? Jesus, Jesus, you must have and the made first part of the answer to that one is that sometimes we have this mistaken notion that God is going to keep our bodies safe no matter what. And I just, I got to call that one out there because it is not God's job to keep you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Like, he, it's not God's job to make you happy. God's job is to make you holy. And holiness comes from obedience in him. But, but sometimes we take these sayings, true sayings, like the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. It's true. But, but the image that comes to mind out of that is like a child, a toddler, who's out in a crowd somewhere. Or maybe a child who's meeting somebody new for the first time. And what does she do when she gets a little scared? She clings onto mom's leg koala style. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen in our upper lobby, moms or dads walking around like this one with like the kid. That's why they're so strong all the time. No, like we've seen that happen. And we think that's exactly, that's us. You know, that's what we aspire to be. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And it's like spiritually absolutely true because what could happen even our very lives taken away from us he still got us he still beat death he still gifts us eternal life physically this is the god that sends us into the storm so i gotta like call that out and say one reason that faith fails to fear it's because we expect storms never to come so long as we're faithful. And then when we do, when it does, man, it's like the ground beneath us just gave way. What happened? God, I thought you had me. And he's still saying, I do. But you know what else he's saying? He's saying, don't mistake the presence of a storm for the absence of God. I still got you. Don't mistake the presence of a storm for the absence of God. I still got you. I am in this thing. I have something for you here. Let's find out what it is. Now the wind's against, the wind's against them. They're rowing in for a while. It was nighttime. Now it's before dawn. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them walking on the lake. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, 
One more time. Jesus went to them walking on the lake. Make sure we read that right. When the disciples saw him, what is it? Walking on the lake. Yeah, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I don't blame them. You know, storms raging, they're up all night, they're tired, they're exhausted, their muscles are all cramped up, and they see a shadowy figure walking out to the lake. They don't think, hey, I think it's my third grade teacher. Hey, I think it's my college professor, it's my rabbi, and he's walking out on the lake. That's awesome, like, sweet, I knew he could do it. No, it's dark, it's hazy, and they're like, it's a ghost. Especially then. You know, thinking like a first century Jewish person, they had all kinds of crazy ideas about like the sea. You know, they didn't, they didn't have the Discovery Channel. They didn't have Shark Week. That probably would have made it worse. <laughs> but they had the, the idea that what's lurking underneath the water is terrifying and huge and ugly and evil. I don't know where they got the idea from, but I imagine every once in a while when a whale washes up on shore, they're like, what is going on under there? The book of Revelation talks about the sea in terms of it being like this place of highly concentrated evil. In Revelation 13 verse 1, we see this picture of the beast, the evil incarnate, like coming up out of the sea. Elsewhere in Revelation, when God is like fixing everything, he points out, and the sea was no more. I was asked about that question one time. Uh, like, what, what does that mean? The sea is no more. Like, are you telling me, Dirk? Are you telling me, pastor, that there's not going to be fishing in heaven? Because if there's no fishing in heaven, Dirk, I'm not sure it's heaven for me. And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that one. Um, luckily, his wife steps in and says, well, if there is fishing for in heaven, it's not heaven for me. <laughs> Solid point. I don't think it has to do with water. I don't think it has to do with fishing. I think it has to do with God saying, listen, that place in life, that is like evil incarnate for you that has caused so much destruction and so much chaos in your life, in the lives of the people that you know and love, there will be a day when I will make it no more. But for these guys, that day is not today. For these guys, they see Jesus coming out, the shadowy figure, and they fear the worst and their faith is giving way to this fear. But Jesus shows up in verse 25. And second, immediately, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now that statement, don't be afraid, do not fear, fear not. Something like that is, uh, is repeated almost 400 times in the Bible. It's, um, you could count it, you could say it's 365 times in the Bible, which makes for this cool, like, you know, you got one fear not verse for every single day out of the year. I don't like to look into that too much. You know, the Bible is written out of a bunch of different languages and it kind of depends how you translate everything to come up with 365 plus there's leap years. And like, what do you do with that? So like, let's not go down that road, but it is the case that God, in his, wind, in his infinite wisdom, in writing this book called the Bible, this story, he decided, y'all need to hear this thing almost 400 times to fear not. 
And I think the reason why he did that was because he was sending us into a storm again and again and again. I think he did that because he knew, listen, listen, the Christian life is not going to be stationed at a country club for the cozy. The Christian life is be stationing you in an outpost on the edge of hell where I'm going to have you run into the flames again and again to save as many as you can, Desmond Doss style. Really? Nobody? Hacksaw Ridge? Come on. Academy Award winner. Thank you. Like, this is the life of God. He's like, I want to tell you, don't be afraid. Because church, you're going to be afraid in the places that I put you. If you're going to make a difference in this world, you will need to hear again and again, don't be afraid. And then, and then Peter, I love this guy. Peter chimes in in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, again, third time, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. I don't know why Peter gets out of the boat. <laughs> Nobody really knows why Peter gets out of the boat. People have uh, speculated that he was involved in the previous miracle, the feeding on 5,000, and he figures... Wow, that was awesome. Let's get a part of this story too. So people speculate that's why, maybe why what prompted him to get out of the boat this time. Other people say, you know, sometimes we think of these disciples as like 40, 50-year-old, really like established wise people who kind of carefully like weigh the cost benefits. And he's like, he, this demonstrates to true faith. Probably not the case. He's 15 years old, 17 years old. He's kind of like a reckless teenager who sees something awesome. And he's like, yup, let's do it. Whatever the reason, he gets out of the boat and he starts walking. Now keep in mind, this is not wakeboarding glass of the, of the water that he's walking on. The wind is howling. The waves are crashing. I don't know how he, he walks specifically. I imagine, I imagine it's like ankle deep and... It doesn't matter. This is totally dark speculation. But there's waves. I want you to, the waves are still going. The wind is still howling. We, we know that because Peter answers that question for us. Why does faith give way to fear in the storm? In verse 30, we see that answer. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. Sometimes, sometimes faith, doubt, courage, fear, sometimes it's not quite so binary, on or off. Sometimes it's like you take all of these emotions, courage, fear, faith, doubt, anxiety, and you take them all and you throw them in a blender and just push the ice crush mode and it spins it all around. And like that's the concoction that we have. And that's like what Peter is experiencing here. As he steps out of the boat, which takes phenomenal courage, and he fixes his eyes on Jesus. But it's when he saw the wind, when he took his eyes off Jesus, 
That's when the fear crept in. That's when he became afraid. Here's, here's the thing about Peter. I love Peter. We have to love Peter. Peter is the guy in the story. He gets out of the boat, first of all. Like everybody else is like, dude, you're crazy. Um, Peter's the guy who gets out of the boat. Peter is the guy who stands up after Pentecost and really delivers the first Christian sermon in the history of the world. I imagine it was pretty good, but, you know, he was new at it. So let's give him, uh, you know, marks for that. And 3,000 people, not because he was so good, 3,000 people were added to the number that day. Uh, Peter is the guy who, as the story continues, will give his life for this cause of Christ. That's Peter. Peter is the model. Peter is the paradigm of faith. At the same time, though, if Peter is the guy who takes his eyes off Jesus, starts looking at the waves and becomes afraid and starts to sink. At the same time, Peter is the guy that in the hour of Christ's greatest need, a little girl comes up to him and says, aren't you one of them? Aren't you part of them? And he says, no, I never knew the man. Three times he denies knowing Christ. At the same time as all of this, Peter is the guy who so badly misunderstands the gospel that Jesus brought, that Jesus had to put him in his place one time and say, get behind me, Satan. Peter is the model, the paradigm of unbelief. Peter is belief. Peter is unbelief. Peter is all of it. Peter is me. Peter is you. We're all Peter. And we're all here. You're here at church at least, and you want to see Jesus. but you can't help but look at the waves and the wind as well. And make no mistake, the wind is beating. The wind is beating and creating these hollow relationships. The wind is beating and robbing your marriage of romance. The wind is beating in the form of these kids that once ran up to you and hugged your leg koala style are now a reclusive teenager that want nothing to do with you. The wind is beating against your friendships and maybe that sense of shallowness or betrayal that you've experienced. The wind is beating against your devotional life. The wind is beating against your spiritual life. The wind is beating against your prayer life and you can't help at times to take your eyes off from Jesus in front of you and look around the circumstances around you. And so you can imagine sinking now in the next line. Beginning to sink, Peter and all of us cry out, Lord, save me. And we find our third immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now, what I love about that, that line, that, that word, why did you doubt? And it's only used one other time in Matthew when he asked, why did you doubt, church? The meaning of the word isn't so much that you entirely gave up. Why did you doubt? means, why did you bring a divided mind? Why did you bring a, a, a split heart? Why did you look at me, the God in front of you? But why did you also pay attention to the circumstances around you? Why did you let all that static, why did you let all that noise creep into you and allow it to dictate your faith? Why did you let 
the waves overwhelm you. For some of you, I want to acknowledge that you are in a storm right now that you never thought that you would be in before. Or maybe you can have a sense that that storm is right around the corner and, and you can kind of feel it brewing and you don't quite know what to do. I want to pray for you. I want you to be prayed over and have that storm prayed over. We have a team in the back every Sunday. They show up during this last song simply to pray for the storms, simply to pray for you to boldly step out of that boat like Peter and like all of us and to say, no, the storm will not win. The doubt divided mind will not win. My faith is not going to be determined by the circumstances around me. My faith is going to be determined by the God in front of me. I will not believe and put my faith in the things that I see. I will believe and I will have faith in what God tells me and what he has done for me. I think you need that. I think you need that and even more. Because a lot of us need to hear that third immediately. Because church, a lot of us mistakenly believe that this is a Peter failed story. That this is a guy, again, like denying Jesus, like the get behind me Satan, like sinking in the water. Like he just fails. This is what Peter does. He messes up again and again and again. No church, here we keep Jesus at the center. It's God's story. Peter is an actor on his grand stage. We're all actors on his stage. Amen? Amen. The action in the story is from Jesus. Three immediately, church. Immediately, Jesus put them into harm's way in the storm. Immediately, he reminded them in that storm, church, do not be afraid. Take courage. I am with you in this place. And immediately, when we all start to sink, it's Jesus who reaches down his hand and immediately grabs us and pulls us up. How many need to be pulled up in the church this morning? Amen. Stand up. Everybody now, stand up. Because we need to hear again, this is not a Peter failed story. This is a Jesus saves story. Think about that time when Jesus saved you. I remember when Jesus spoke into my heart as a teenager at a camp somewhere, and I believed for the first time that this guy actually loved me to the point of death and back again. It's not my story. It's his story all the way. I'm an actor on his stage. I can look at time again and again and again. Job, career, family, passion, kids, marriage, everything again and again where I'm sinking, taking my eyes off from Jesus and he reaches out this hand and he pulls me up again and again because it's not an I failed or a you failed church story. It's a Jesus still saves kind of story. Amen? Amen. If you believe that, you can go to the prayer table in the back and we want to pray over your storm. If you believe that, we want to show, help you show the world that you have risen with Jesus Christ. On October 14, 
about a month away, we're going to have our baptism celebration. We're going to have the tank out again, and we're going to do adult baptisms again. If this, is, if this is you, if you're ready to show the world that you have risen with Christ, we want to know. We want to celebrate with you. Go to encounterchurch.org slash baptism. And let's start doing life together. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, our eternal Savior, you have saved us from ourselves and others countless times. God, we don't know why, but even so, we take our eyes off you with divided hearts and divided minds. We let the stuff around us, the financial situations, loneliness, spiritual depressions, apathy, fear, doubt, setbacks. We let all of these circumstances around us dictate our faith instead of keeping our eyes on you and what you have done for us. God, I pray for that person in the room right now who's getting ready to make that decision to follow after you. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, give them courage in what comes next, in the conversations that comes next. Jesus Christ, it is in your risen name we pray. And we all said, amen.